0: Hi everybody, it's Richard Zwicky of the Green Peak, and joining us today we've got Aaron Prosk, who is the president, and co-founder of Sante Cannabis and Sora Care out of Montreal, which is a leading medical uh, cannabis clinic and research uh, group that also has been working heavily with patient advocacy and innovation and doctor education. Welcome aboard the Green Peak, Aaron.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: You know, it's interesting. We've had a number of conversations lately on the Green Peak with people who are looking at the data with regards to usage and the difference in rollout patterns around the world. And one of the things that Canada, you know, has an advantage on others because we started 20 years earlier is we made a lot of mistakes. And one of the things that's holding back a lot of the medical cannabis uh, industry globally is doctor and physician education. And It's been a patient advocacy issue as well in terms of getting the patients to demand that their doctors learn so they can help them. But it's also been a a question with the medical bodies in terms of recommending and teaching doctors uh, what to do, how to use it, and the like. You've been involved in that area of the business for over 10 years. You've seen a transformation, but there's things which every other marketplace are going to need to to, to go through. What are you seeing that you really think is going to make the biggest difference?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not an easy. It's not been an easy road for us here in Canada. Um, sure. You know, sort of being at the vanguard of, uh, of of the evolution of cannabis policy, and despite having twenty years of experience, like it's important to note that um, you know, as you said, it's been really driven by patient advocacy and activism through the court system here in Canada. Uh, that has been, you know, really what what has allowed us to sort of lead the world in terms of uh, in terms of cannabis evolution. Uh, but now we're at a point, really, where there are hundreds of thousands of Canadians uh, in the, the the legal medical access program, but there are millions more who are self medicating or self treating. And in a in a ca- country where we have public health care, this starts to become you know, uh, a public health issue where, you know, doctors are really noticing that they don't know anything about the cannabis products that their patients are using. So, you know, what we really advocate for and why, you know, it's been 10 years that we've been at it uh, at Sante Cannabis, and now we've just launched a new clinic, really to be able to serve as a cannabis specialist model for doctors and nurse practitioners and pharmacists all across the country. And there's so much experience and uh, expertise at specific medical cannabis clinics. This kind of model is starting to be very common uh, globally, where, you know, you get together those knowledge experts. But the important part is that you also are integrated with primary care and with specialist networks so that we can start to do knowledge transfer from the cannabis experts into the medical community. And, you know, doc- medical policy changes slowly. It usually changes from the top down, but we need yep. both the the institution, uh, level, as well as the grassroots. And this is really what our, our model facilitates, is that um, transfer of knowledge from one clinician to the next.
0: And, you know, that's so key. And especially with something with cannabis, which is, you know, it's much more complicated than a lot of other uh, medical treatments for doctors to start using prescribing because within the plant there are so many compounds and you know they're used to writing a prescription for a molecule that does a very defined thing whereas with cannabis because they don't know what the patient's always picking up they don't know all of the different effects off the top of their head how how are you finding that's changing as far as the medical practitioners well i mean
1: there there has been a lot of new evidence. I mean, we, you know, we do still hear from the medical community that there's not enough of that sort of gold standard randomized clinical trials that are usually developed by the pharma industry to have the approval of a sort of single
0: molecule treatment. It's a way of controlling and the market, plant medicine,
1: of which is Exactly. And plant medicine just comes against all of that. And I would, yep. you know, bring in sort of the psychedelic medicine movement that's also underway now. Uh but you know, what's really exciting about Medical cannabis and cannabinoid based medicine is that it is a powerful therapeutic, uh, but it's also very safe. And yes. so, you know, we introduce, uh, you know, specific clinic protocols that are, you know, uh, risk assessment. So, you know, patients starting with CBD and introducing, you know, THC, which has a little bit higher risk profile, um, has been one of the most successful ways that we train doctors to get on board because. You know CBD is um, you know uh, has a very high safety profile especially when compared to other uh, products that are used for pain management or sleep or anxiety and so we really make a lot of um, ground with uh, healthcare professionals when we talk about the safety profile and how with controlled introduction of THC as well as other other cannabinoids like CBN and and, uh, CBG that are exciting but you know we don't know enough about them yet for many professionals to get excited We really, you know, have to start somewhere and we start simple and and speak in, you know, medical language about um, how we move through what is a very complex substance by talking really about the primary cannabinoids that are contained. Um, And so, you know, we have to speak the medical language. That's something that we talk to uh, patients and activists all the time, right, is to advance um, in the medical system. We have to be that uh, translator of uh, cannabis knowledge uh, into uh, medical language.
0: Yeah, I know when I speak, I've spoken to, you know, legislators around the world and where they've been reluctant at first to even consider anything regarding cannabis. And when you explain to them, the worst that's going to happen is the patient's going to sleep for a few hours extra. They really are a bit shocked because they've been, you know, they don't, they don't know and they don't understand. And it's unfortunate the medical schools, most of them around the world don't teach about the endogenous cannabinoid system. And that's really a big part of where it has to start because if the doctors don't learn about it, they're not, they're never going to start prescribing actively. Mm -hmm. When you work with patient advocacy, do you ever go to the, are you able to go to the various medical colleges and teaching universities with regards to education? Uh,
1: I mean, yes, this has been um, one of our priorities for the last 10 years. So, we have a partnership with McGill University uh, here in Montreal, um, we've run a training program for physicians across Quebec that we've recently expanded uh, to to run Canada wide and you know that um, you know development of translating uh, publications and evidence that's being produced into actual pra- clinical practice guidelines has made a lot of ground in Canada um, both from our efforts uh, but also from some of the institutions, like very recently, the Canadian Pediatric Society just put out their guidelines of you know, what they recommend for pediatricians and how to right. handle medical cannabis. Yeah. So there is, you know, a lot of progress being made. But one of the things in Canada that's unique is, is you know that the intersection of of medical and non medical use, and so that you know is something that for all countries to take a look at when introducing you know recreational access or non medical access for adults. Like we have to ensure. Uh, that there is a comprehensive plan for training and educating healthcare professionals and making sure that medical access is sort of enshrined within that system. Because right now, one of the biggest risks that we see in the clinic is when older or more vulnerable uh, Canadians have been interested in cannabis and, you know, using it for medical purposes, but they may have some risk factors. They may have a cardiovascular disease, they may take some medications that could have interactions. And we really want their first point of contact to be with their healthcare professionals who will guide them how to start, you know, in a slow and, and considered way, uh, versus, you know, what can happen when they walk into a retail store that's really meant for a very different uh type of cannabis consumer. And they may try the wrong product at the wrong dosage, and they may end up at the emergency room, you know, with uh with with an adverse reaction and it Absolutely. may be something that they could have slept off, you know, slept off or they could have worked through on their own, but that level of fear sort of comes in. And of so, it it's really important a comprehensive education system for healthcare professionals when cannabis access is being expanded.
0: Yeah, no, it's it is critical, and it's critical to be able to maintain a true medical system to help people understand the differences between the two. And actually, I want to come back to that a bit after the break, um, with regards to the usage trends, because there's been some interesting discussions about what's happening in other markets. And a lot of it's driven by lack of education and I think incorrect data um, measurement tools. But we're going to come back to that in a moment. We'll be back on the Green Peak with Aaron Prosk in just a minute. And we're back on the Green Peak with Aaron Prosk. Uh, Aaron, just before the break, we we're talking about, you know, with the education system, you've been working and working through the various uh, clinics and uh, physicians and the training programs and McGill. And, you know, it, it's very forward thinking and it's very, uh, very strong on the patient advocacy side. And what's interesting I've noticed in other markets is, of course, U.S. people talk about medical, but it's not really defined like it is in Canada. And it isn't because of the lack of a federal, uh, federal regimen there really isn't the same understanding of what that means. And people are reusing it for therapeutic processes and purposes, but there isn't the standardization of the, molecule, of the availability of the compounds and molecules, if you're going down to isolates, that exists here. But one of the things that somebody's commented on a couple of times to me is they're seeing a drop in medical usage. Um, and really, I don't think that's, accurate. I think it's more the consumers shifting their purchasing behavior based on economics more than anything else. But as you're seeing the uh, usage change and doctors are starting in Quebec to utilize more cannabis, what are you seeing for changes in other prescriptions on behalf of patients? Are they dropping uh, certain other compounds that they would have been taking? Are they replacing? Existing treatments with cannabis-based ones, and is that shifting the spend and usage as well?
1: Uh, well, there have been a lot of changes. You know, we're, we're just past the five-year anniversary of cannabis legalization in Canada, and uh, it's been you know clear, you know, that um, with the expansion of access to cannabis products, and I, you know, there's economic forces, but there's also convenience. Uh, you know, in many provinces in Canada. You know the, the um, accessibility of different storefronts is 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 extremely high, uh, and in wild, there have not been any uh, similar advancements to medical access. So patients in Canada still need to have the authorization uh, from a healthcare practitioner, and they still need to access uh, their medical cannabis products online or by phone, which are shipped through the mail. And so there's a, still a very significant number of barriers for patients and their caregivers and their healthcare teams to sort of get over in order to access sort of the true medical cannabis access program in Canada. And that's a real problem. Uh, we have been very active meeting with the expert panel, which is responsible for the Cannabis Act review underway right now in Canada, really to direct their attention to these issues. Right? You may have a patient who has a medical authorization who has to drive to the post office to pick up their medication that they've ordered from their uh, medical provider and they pass five cannabis stores on the way there. And so when we look at the data and the numbers in the federal program, uh, it's really not telling the whole story. What we hear actually from from store owners and, and bud tenders is that 30 to 40 to 50 percent of consumers are asking about therapeutic use. They're reporting that they're using uh, those cannabis products for sleep or for pain management. And so, you know, while the numbers in the federal program and uh, the market data that Health Canada collects are declining. We're actually overall, I'd see a very significant increase uh, in reported medical use. It's just that decision of sort of where and how they're going to access it. And so what we've been advocating for is of course, medical cannabis needs to be in our healthcare system. It should be in the 15,000 pharmacies that we have across the country. And that only then would really have that level of accessibility where people who had questions about um, uh, their their medical uh, history, where they would you know want to be finding out more about these products, are entering you know sort of that healthcare environment in order to achieve those objectives. So we really have a long way to go to make sure that patients actually have an informed choice about whether they're accessing cannabis for medical purposes as part of you know the traditional medical and healthcare system, or you know if we're treating cannabis like this like you know separate product that needs its own system similar to what you would you would see from the U.S. And so this is, you know, Canada, we have public health care, we have public uh, coverage of medications, uh, and there, you know uh, when we talk about uh, cannabis as a medicine, you know, the, the the goalpost that we're moving towards is that integrated system where it would be insured uh, and, uh, and it would be accessible in pharmacy.
0: That also brings up the interesting point that, you know, patients, of course, have the You run out of something, you're going to pick it up immediately. You're not going to wait for the mail. Um, but in Canada, we do get the tax benefits. Right. Have you seen, how do you see, are you seeing that shifting the behavior at all? And how is that being covered in some of the discussions and review?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, when, when people ask us like, why would I, you know, pursue the medical cannabis system through all the barriers. I mean there are still a number of advantages uh, that the uh, federal program provides. Uh, only products purchased through the medical campus license sellers are eligible for the, the um, medical expense tax credit and that is pretty significant for any um, Canadian uh, that are you know that have a certain income level that are employed or and reach that income level. Uh, there's also the possibility of private insurance coverage Uh, There are a number of insurers. We've we've recently started a program here where about 15 different insurers across Canada, including some big ones like uh, Canada Life, uh, Manulife, uh, they do have policies to cover medical cannabis as a treatment. And so there have been quite a lot of advancements there. Uh, And this is one reason definitely to seek out, you know, a specialized cannabis clinic like ours to really give that sort of full assessment of the advantages uh, there are also protections in the workplace. Uh, if you're a renter and you need to, um, you know, use cannabis in, at your home for for medical purposes, um, as well as sort of other accesses through personal or designated production. Uh, so there are still a number of those avenues where it really makes, uh, you know, the argument uh, for getting over these barriers, but still shouldn't be that difficult. Uh, especially, you know, considering that um, uh, cannabis in our minds is a medicine first, and that's really where you know we came to this. Uh, uh, you know, to, we came to legalization through the lens of, of medical access.
0: So I, I used to know Alan Rock, who was the minister of health back in the late nineties. And, uh, Alan went through, um, uh, cancer, prostate cancer. And not long after that, there was the, one of the acts they passed. And I was speaking with uh, a couple of people in his office, um, years later, we were chatting about it, but they wrote a bill that covered off, uh, cannabis. But they wrote it in a way they couldn't get the enough support within the house to get the bill passed. So what they did was they wrote the law and they structured it in a way that the courts would be forced to strike it down. So instead of being able to legislate access, they used the judiciary to open the access. And that was a really interesting path to write a law that would be broken to ensure that you could actually end up with the results that were required. And what's been interesting for me to watch as I've observed all of that is, you know, so many of the issues we have with doctor and physician education, the doctors want the information, but they're they need that pipeline that they're used to. And with the work you're doing it from an advocate's perspective and the work that's going on in government, it's kind of like everybody's coming at the problem from a new way in terms of it's the advocacy, it's the course that have forced the access. So they're saying, you have to go do this. You've got farm, which of course is really resistant because they can't control it, but it's piece after piece. It's like eating an elephant. It's just an awful Mm -hmm. elephant to have to eat because we all know this is necessary Mm -hmm. and and I'm sure yes. for you that frustrates you, like constantly to be looking at that and saying, Why why can we not just take this one bite when you've got a patient suffering?
1: Mm-hmm. You're speaking my language. It's <laughs> um it's painful at times to, you know, hear from government representatives uh and regulators, um, uh, you know, because we have these very rigid structures for medical access you know, for drugs and and products, even natural health products, to be approved for sale in Canada. And it's so frustrating to hear them talking about, well, we don't have the evidence, or we don't know if it's safe. Meanwhile, right, you know, that, that same individual can walk now into a store in Canada and purchase products, you know, that have, you know, high potency of THC, you know they can purchase oh. things that you know their doctor may not be comfortable with them taking so it's really this like sort of dissonance that happens to say you know well uh you know that's recreational that's not medical and in reality right like we just we all use products and substances every day right drugs Sorry. fuel yeah. you know uh society whether it's caffeine uh, you know or alcohol or you know all these mm-hmm. um you know we lived with drugs and you know, the stigma of cannab- placed on cannabis and other, you know, other uh, psychedelic drugs that are, are sort of coming in its wake um, is really, really challenging to overcome. So, you know, it's, a, it's an effort for us on the advocacy end to be thinking of that perspective, you know, of, of the government representatives and the regulators and thinking what is that system and how do we infiltrate it uh, to break, you know, sure. b- beyond the, the barriers that we have now. And so one of the things that we're really advocating for in this entry into pharmacy is not to think about it as a cannabis product, Uh you know, in in a separate bubble, but actually to think, to look at the evidence of safety and effectiveness of different cannabinoid-based products and, you know, and evaluate them as natural health products and figure out where in the pharmacy they should belong. So CBD products, you know, outside the counter, maybe in the supervised area of the pharmacy, this is what the evidence would indicate that.
0: Just like Tylenol One in Canada, in you can pick up right. You can pick up Tylenol One in Canada and at any pharmacy. You just ask the pharmacist for it. Whereas in the states, if you try and ask for it, they think you're a, uh, you know, you're dealing in narcotics and you're on the street selling black markets. like no, it's just a right. regulated painkiller.
1: Right. Right. And we can be very considered about, you know, the the risks of different cannabinoids. And there are risks, you know, with THC products. Sure. Um, But also, you know, there are some others uh, for CBD as well. Um, But uh, we can think about those risks and be really considered. And I would challenge that there are a lot of products in the pharmacy that are not that well considered, right? You can buy an entire bottle of acetaminophen that if you take that in one shot, you can have a toxic overdose. Uh, Absolutely. And so it's tough to have of this viewed in this lens when we know that it's not applied to so many other substances that we have in society.
0: It, uh, it is tough and you know it's actually in a lot of the world you can pick up the uh you can pick up in UK acetaminophen and ibuprofen with codeine you can pick you know Canada you've got the acetaminophen like in Latin America you've got a different one the US just has a glare at it all but it's interesting I find is the uh and we'll come back to this just after the break is the perspective on the psychedelics is quite different because the molecule is simpler in terms mm-hmm. of it's less diverse. And so farm is able to embark on board. And so everybody's getting on, on board of it. And it's just interesting to see. And that I'd like to come back to that after we have to take one more short break, we'll be back with Aaron Prosk from, uh, Sora Care and Santhi cannabis. And we're back on the Green Peak with Aaron Prosk from uh, Sante Cannabis and Sore Care. And you know, just before the break here, we touched on the fact that um, psychedelics are being accepted more easily by pharmaceuticals and thus legislators in the States and elsewhere, um, which is going to make, I think, for an easier path in a lot of ways, um, which is interesting in and of itself. but. There's still going to be the education of the doctors and physicians, and it may be simpler with all the support, but the work you're doing is critical in terms of the lessons learned from Canada to be able to help the doctors that are going through the process now in Europe and the doctors who really will be embarking on learning in the U.S. because it's still so much of a black box. What are you seeing in terms of the differences, and is there a way to leverage back some of the acceptance because of the way some of the psychedelics are being handled into helping the medical uh, professionals learn more about cannabis as well.
1: Well, well, I mean, I think the main difference between the introduction of medical cannabis and the introduction of now uh, psychedelic medicines, and I would note, I mean, cannabis is an atypical psychedelic. It is actually sort of in that category, but it's not, uh, you know, not uh, quite the same pharmacological pathway. Um, but the, the difference is really that, you know, pharmaceutical companies as well as sort of heavy more investment into clinical trials has really been driving the advancement of, of psychedelic medicines. Um, whereas with medical cannabis, I mean, a lot of doctors would sort of say, well, the cart got ahead of the horse um, the, ac- the access and the use was, was very, very high, um, you know, before there was any sort of investment um, into an industry, you know, that would maybe fuel um, clinical trials. And so we're going to see, you know, some psychedelic medicines actually be approved and introduced, you know, as as um, uh, marketable drugs, uh, both in the U.S. and then, you know, sort of spreading uh, into other countries as well at a much faster rate. And so there, we're still going to have the challenge when we think of sort of universal adoption uh, by medical professionals. Uh, we're often so focused on the product, and I would say that's true in terms of medical cannabis export as well from Canada into Germany or into uh, Australia or Israel. We're thinking, you know, how can we get the product there when really for that product to be successful in that country, uh, there's a, a sort of a full comprehensive pro- program that needs to be um, included. Um, you know, how will that product be, you know, educated to different healthcare professionals, where you find and contact those healthcare professionals uh, and what data would be collected, you know, on the product that maybe then can fuel continued expansion you know, in the bell curve of early adopters and mainstream, right? We've, we're still quite stuck in that early adopter phase. And in order to achieve the mainstream acceptance, uh, there is, you know, sort of a database of evidence and safety profile that, you know, is still on your way development. So, you know, when we're looking, you know, at, you know, Canada-wide uh, access for patients, um, you know, what we really... Um, Will facilitate through uh, both Sante Cannabis and Sora Care is first access to expert physicians that can support those patients, but secondly, also creating a system where our knowledge experts can then transfer information back to primary care. So we start to bridge into letting those family physicians, those pain specialists, uh, learn more about medical cannabis, and then continue to sort of fuel the system where we really have like sort of a cannabis specialist uh, service that can then you know. support, you know, the hundred thousand doctors across Canada who are still wondering, you know, what do I do about this product? And that's the same kind of system that will be necessary when psychedelic medicines come on the scene. We may be well advantaged because it's actually an approved drug, but in order for it to be adopted, uh, there needs to be a high level of, of education. This is very, very expensive. Pharmaceutical companies will spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars rolling out an approved drug. And, you know, leveraging networks like ours that are already sort of primed with that complementary medicine positioning uh, would be uh, the best effective way to uh, to introduce a product and provide the right training uh, to healthcare professionals to be able to utilize it.
0: Yeah, and you're able to compile some fascinating studies based on the work you're doing with physicians, not just in Quebec, but right across Canada. And interesting enough, I think uh, our next interview, our next uh, discussion um, is with a fellow called Nicholas, uh, Cromwell, Cromwell was from the Lumwell group in Germany, and they're struggling for that type of information. So, you know, there's a huge demand because we're, lear- we've learned so much in Canada ahead of everybody else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's one of our experts that we need to you know, be thinking about, uh, um, leveraging and uh, and working with these um these new you know emergent countries and some of them really significant right we're talking about probably Mexico Brazil yep. coming online uh, with hundreds medical people, right? uh more significantly so. in the coming years yeah yep. yeah exactly and and uh, and hundreds of thousands of doctors who need training
0: yeah and that's that's one of the things is you know the intellectual property value of what we have in Canada with regards to this industry is world leading okay. and we should be tooting our horn for the fact we have the world-class knowledge that everybody else is going to seek, and we can be the center of education in this country.
1: Yeah, we're um, pushing those points because we should be a research powerhouse as well. Um, and that's been you know, one of the biggest uh, critiques of you know uh, the federal government uh, for the last five years. Um, there should be a huge influx of the profits that, are, that the government is yep. collecting, the tax revenue that, that, that is being collected and uh, pushing that back uh, into uh, not just academic research but also community-based research uh, like what we're doing to actually you know ass- assess um, and build real-world evidence of what's really happening in-, in clinical practice and what are those benefits to patients. Substitution of ad- other medications, uh, quality of life improvements, I mean it's really sort of getting out into the community and uh, and collecting that data that's, um, that's necessary uh, and will uh, help to fuel those same questions on the ground and in clinics, uh, in, in other countries.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, the government of Canada some done some amazing things for the industry and some things where you really look at it and go, you're just, you know, you, you can't be half pregnant, just get it done. And, uh, mm-hmm. we have to, we have, you know, we've already taken the step, just accept it, move forward and support it properly because mm-hmm. if you don't support it properly, you drive you know, From the one side, you drive people into the dispensaries, and when they don't find what they want, you go to the black market, and that's a problem. But on the other hand, we have all this that is valuable, and take advantage of it because that's what we're always looking for from an economic development perspective. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I love the analogy of giving birth because… An un, you know the cannabis industry in Canada is a bit of an unruly toddler at the moment uh, yes. not sure you know where it's going next being structure and leadership uh, and and that's a point we're pushing with the government very hard
0: yeah no I mean I've, I've always objected to the $1 tax and 10% over the $10 a gram model because until you really get the industry well established you can't tax it or else you're driving people to the black market or to unsafe sources that they believe are safe um And that's a shame because we can have a really clean, good industry from a uh, from a consumer perspective if we do it right. Um, Aaron, we are out of time for this uh, for today, but I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Green Peak.
1: Thank you, thank you so much for a great discussion.
0: It's been a wonderful discussion. I hope to have you on again soon and learn more about uh, the studies and the progress in the next few months. Again. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back again with you soon. I'm and sorry, Brasco, I want to cut back for a sec. Oh yeah, please go ahead. Okay. I'm going to cut back to the ending there. So Aaron, we are out of time for today, but I'd like to thank you for joining us on the green peak and for people who want to learn more about Santi cannabis and Sora care, uh, where should they visit the website to learn more and where should physicians go in particular?
1: Uh, well, they can find us on our website, uh, SanteCannabis.ca, um, Sante S A N T E, uh, or easily through Sora Care as well. Uh, which is just Sora Care, uh, and uh, reach out to us by email or phone, uh, and we'll take it from there.
0: Perfect. So S O R A dot C A R E is the easiest one, probably for everybody to write down and remember. So That's thanks right. for. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today on the Green Peak. Look forward to having you on again in in a few months for an update and for an expansion. As Also, as the other markets open up around the world, the perspective is going to be invaluable. And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky, and we'll be back again with you shortly.